Welcome to the Gin Ignite podcast. Whether you want to party or stay in, gin will ignite. This is the weekly show coming to you on a Friday, ready for the weekend, where we go through all things gin. If you want to find more out more information, catch me on Instagram at Gin Ignite or alternatively go to the website www.ginignite.com. Welcome to the show and let's get on with it. Hello and welcome to episode 28. Today I'm talking to Charlie and Mike from Charles and Mike Distilling. They are just about to launch their Big 7 Gin. It's kind of like version 2.0. Their website went live last Wednesday and they've also been setting up their new distillery and we talk all about how they got started, how their tastes have changed towards gin their process for creating gin and what gin means to them, to name a few, but more from them a little bit later on. First and foremost, I'd like to talk to you about the Maidstone Distillery. Now, I discovered the Maidstone Distillery from Tammy at For Cocktail Sake, who was obviously on last week. She does a live on a Tuesday and Thursday, and last Thursday they did a Happy Thanksgiving live, and she does it with Paul at Mix and Match. And it was a, an enthralling episode where she actually used two of the items that get stocked by Maidstone Distillery. So she used the George Bishop London Dry Gin, which essentially boasts 15 botanicals. It's kind of like a warm Mediterranean orange combined with delicate spice. She also introduced Sharp's Toffee Liqueur, which is based on toffee created by a local grocery shop owner, Edward Sharp. Now, in addition, which wasn't actually in the post, but in addition, they also do this Ranscombe Wild Small Batch Gin, which is floral notes on the nose, but are very deceptive because as soon as you have your first sip, it descends into dark pine forest notes. All of that sounds really amazing. And I've definitely got to investigate Maidstone Distillery in the new year. I hope you had a really good Black Friday and I hope you um, managed to pick up a bargain I know I saw lots of bargains out there from Lava Spirits, the only way of gin, and I picked up a great bargain at Stockport Gin. So um, I'm due to get those today, so I'm really, really looking forward to them. Now, whether I'll be able to sneak a bit of gin to go into my bauble and refill it, I don't know, but I'm going to try if I can. Not sure I'm going to get away with it, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how I've got on. Anyway, on to Christmas. Now, I know I bang on about it, and I have been banging on it about it for the last few weeks. But I do worry about the world out there. So please, please support your local or favourite distillery. Mine seem to be growing by the day. Stockport Gin have got some great lockdown boxes. Now I'm told that those lockdown boxes will last till Christmas or as so long as the, the gin lasts essentially. They've also got some great gin filled baubles or not filled in my case at the moment, but hopefully will be filled very, very soon. But lots of those baubles are selling out really, really quickly. So you need to be quick. And they they are selling out of quite a few things. But they have loads of gifts from stocking fillers, secret Santa gifts, to luxury gift boxes, glasses, mugs, and so much more. The Edge Gin have got some great offers for their gins. So L'Orange, Pear, and the London Dry Gin. They've also got liqueurs, glasses, and chocolates. And if you put in Lockdown 2, you will get 10% off. And 
if you spend over £40, you'll get free shipping. Pitwheel Distillery are doing some great gins. Uh, not sure they've actually got any offers on at the moment, but they have got their new orange and ginger gin. They've obviously got their classic dry, their original spiced, and their raspberry and vanilla gin. The Gower Gin Company, they have got some great seasonal offers. Six of their gins all in one box, which looks amazing. Includes Dragon Gin. Hello. They've also got Slow Gin and they've got their Festive 3, which sounds really fantastic. You've got the Slow Gin. You've got Barra Breath, which a couple of weeks ago was my weekly recommendation. Absolutely fabulous. You know, it, it's it's a paradise on the palette. It really is. And they've got Pinwood as well in, in that box. And Massingbird Monday, they've got a great offer at the moment. If you buy a full bottle, you get a £10 voucher in return. My weekly recommendation this week is Lind and Lime Gin from the Leaf Distillery. I was introduced to this gin by Britt from the Botanical Trading Company, who was on a few weeks ago on the podcast. It was kind of my November box. Now, I've got to be honest, for some reason, whenever I get citrus gin, I think it's going to be either too full of sugar or it'll be so citrusy that the juniper will get lost. I shouldn't really think like that because I've had some great citrus-based gins. You know, you've got Lange Gin from the Edge Gin or the Twist of Lion Gin from Stockport Gin. So I have to say I shouldn't get disappointed, but I was a tad disappointed, I have to be honest. I had an initial taste and all I can say is this preconception was totally misguided because it was absolutely lovely. And as you'll see from this week, it's a very, very versatile gin because of all the martinis that I'll be putting out this week and, and Tom Collins as well that I tried. The nose of the gin is like a subtle lime. The flavour profile is really interesting. It starts with a brief moment where there's no apparent taste at all. It's really bizarre. Then the lime kind of lingers for quite a long time on the palate. The lime is not too sweet and it's not too tart either. It's just delightful. The flavour profile then continues with a dry taste and there's a brief heat from the alcohol. The gin is so versatile. I'd be quite happy to have it as a sipping gin with or without ice. I added some, some Mediterranean tonic as I always do for testing purposes and the G&T is sensational. It just lifts the lime. I could literally drink it all day and it would make a great drink on a summer's day but I'd be worried about how much I, I, I was drinking to be honest. The, the gin is so smooth, I would love to have it in a dry martini. And as I said, it's, it's so versatile. I've tried it in a Tom Collins breakfast martini and a Montgomery 15 to 1. It's a sensational gin that has a proud place on my gin shelf. And I would like to give a heartfelt thank you to the Botanical Trading Company, but also a slight worry on my behalf that there's not going to be a lot left because I'm enjoying it too much. I'm worried it's not going to last till the middle of December at this rate. And now for my talk with Charles and Mike from Charles and Mike Distilling. Charles and Mike both work at the airport in travel retail. And so I've all been, always been accustomed to working with spirits. They'd always talked about producing spirits themselves. And this year they bought themselves a still on eBay and started to experiment. The experiment worked and soon so many people were flocking to their brand. Like everyone learning something new, they made a fair few mistakes. After selling out of the Big 7 1.0, they decided to take stock, get bigger premises and completely redesign the brand from the ground up. 
Now with a new logo, new backing and a new outlook, they are back and ready to launch the Big 7 on Wednesday of this week, the 2nd of December. So I'd like to welcome them to the show. Hello, Charlie and Mike. Hi, Ben. Hi there. Hi, Ben. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Tell me, I'm really excited to know, how did you start on your distilling journey? Um, well, we, uh, we, funnily enough, we were at a, uh, a Christmas party. Um, oh, okay. Uh, down at the City of London Distillery. And uh, we got the opportunity to make our own gin down there. Um, and while we were there, you know, we had, we had a great time there, and um, yeah, we made some we made some nice gins in, in the group that we. I mean, mine was a little bit ropey; it wasn't uh, amazing. Should we say Charlie's was, was far better? I'm sure he would he wouldn't rub that in or anything that it was. Uh, he has done for the last uh, of six months already. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's good. That we, I suppose up until up until that point, we didn't really have any kind of experience. So how to make gin but um it's quite a good um school if, any, if anyone gets the chance to go but um you have a base for it and you can just choose botanicals and there's someone there to kind of guide you away from doing anything sort of stupid he didn't guide me very well it's just like obviously yeah it was def- <laughs> definitely the distillery's fault it was nothing to do with you yeah, at all yeah absolutely there is, there is someone there who, who should stop me from making anything um sort of hideous but it's a really good experience and what kind of happened afterwards is a kind of giant case of one thing led to another because we really enjoyed what we did. So we, as you said, we bought a still from eBay um, just for personal consumption at home, just to see if we could make anything kind of cool. So I think yeah, from from that point of view, we when we went to to look at the, the still on eBay and, and we researched licenses and stuff, we found it's very very uh, simple to apply for a rectifying license at home to to rectify your spirit. Yeah, and and that's and that's how we started. We needed. A personal consumption license, which makes more sense to, to just experiment at home. So we've done that, and we're quite surprised that you can't get those and how accessible they are. Um, we then created some other bottles of the gin that we were trying and shared them with sort of friends and family just to see if what we thought was good was a better opinion of those as well as what we wanted. How cool that would be good. And they really liked it. So we got to a point where we thought, well, we could probably sell a few of this. So we've done a little bit more research. There wasn't much more to do in terms of licensing where we were um, to get a license to distill commercially. Okay. Now, to do that, you also need to be VAT registered, which means you need to incorporate a company. So we started doing this in January, and in March 2020, um, we had an incorporated company that was VAT registered with all of the licenses we needed to um, commercially distill. Almost by accident, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, almost by accident. We just kind of applied for the next one to do the next one we wanted to do. Marks to kind of see what it was, and you know, we essentially opened almost by accident my second distillery. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, luckily for us, we you know, we have a really good friend who, who helped us out, and he's got a lovely big garden and a kind of like brick annex at the back of it. And he said, Oh, you could you can come and use that. And that was that was where we headed down in Kent. Yeah, so we set up shop in a sort of annex outbuilding in a, in a residential premises and I think it was also quite surprised that we were able to get a premises license for you know what's essentially a shed on a residential premises to sell alcohol off license online and um, we had visits from environmental health officers who had to come walk through garden and kind of kick toys out of the way to get to our distillery we had a visit from the fire authority 
in Kent, who sold off our building is kind of quite secure. So it's quite surreal that we we literally set up a distillery in a shed. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, you know, licenses from HMRC to distill commercially and had visits from sort of fire authority and environmental health. Um, but that's where we set up shop and, and luckily we made some good stuff and, and sales were good, which kind of allowed us to move on to the next chapter. And and tell me about your excitement when you got duty stamps. Oh yeah, yeah. So we kind of so we we done a lot up until that point because we'd obviously achieved those licenses, and we were always kind of really almost like shocked when they come through because it was a bit surreal about kind of what we were doing. Um, but when the career dropped off, sort of two hundred and fifty duty stamps for our bulk, that was kind of surreal because I was like, Charlie, Charlie, these needs to go in a safe. Put them in a safe. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of I don't know. Um, for us, it's just kind of a bit of a mask because it's easy enough to make a gym and bottle it because you can buy those kind of stuff anyway. But to actually start receiving duty stamps for your official business and your official gym to then sell on the open market was um, pretty cool and a bit of a milestone for us. But, but it didn't all run smoothly because I know um, you had a few issues when you were filling bottles. So, so tell me about that. Yeah, this is a, a, a large argument between uh, myself and Charlie back at, back at the start where. And um, we would measure out uh, 700 CL, 700 mil into into the jug, and then we would fill that into, uh, sorry, 50 mil sorry, into a jug, and then we would um, fill that into one of our bottles, and then it would be short, or it would be too much, and we couldn't really figure out why. So one of the things that, that Charlie did, he was in a distillery um, uh, not long after that, and he said to one of the like one of the distillers there, like. Why does this happen to us? Why does this keep happening to us? Well, alcohol it expands and shrinks. Most of the people that uh, are making alcohol are doing it by weight, not by uh, quantity. Yeah, so, you know, we, I suppose, in kind of true weight, we, we would measure out 500 ml drink in, in a jar and then bottle it. And then by the time we finish bottling 20, obviously, some of the liquid was dipping down to the others. So we were just thought we were getting it really wrong. So what we was actually doing was when the alcohol was cooling and therefore shrinking, we were topping these bottles up. So there are some bottles out there in the early days that would have come with probably about 50, 60, 70 mil more gin in it than, than was actually labeled just because we didn't really know the basics of how alcohol behaves. But more gin is better than no gin. Yeah. Well, absolutely. So, uh, you know, some, some people got a bonus, so that's bonus. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, no one was sure, so that's, that's the important thing. But, absolutely. Um, it's just things like that, that you know we never would have thought of. So we we kind of had to become like sort of experts. And funnily enough, we we you know making the gin is probably the easiest thing. What we found more challenging was the kind of like the glass labeling, the sterilising of the bottles. There's a lot of other stuff to do above making making the gin, which is probably our biggest learning curve, if I'm honest. But yes, so- we we now weigh alcohol when we bottle it rather than by quantity because the mass never changes, but the um, the volume does. Right. And and sort of um, picking up on what you were saying about the the, the labelling, um, I know you've had a few, should we say, issues with that. So how 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 did labelling sort of affect it? You know, obviously, you've, just to put it into context, you've sold you've sold your your first batch, as it were, or a number of batches, sort of in the big seven sort of version one as I like to call it, and then you you're now into version two, and you've got to sort out the labelling. What 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 issues did you go through with the labelling? Well, we start. We started off really in the early days with a completely different bottle shape, a completely different kind of labeling. The very first gin that we made, as we 
as we say, we rectified that in, in my flat. So we actually called it Flats Gym just for a bit of a laugh. And um, <laughs> uh, we, we, um, the label for that was actually made on a, on a Dymo gun, wasn't it? And also like a little Dymo printer. So it was very much um, a tiny little laboratory kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so it kind of looked like a specimen on the side, apart from it wasn't yellow. Yeah, so it's all of course. What actually happened is that we chose, me and Mike chose Michael when she was still our first match that we were going to talk about. It's only kind of like I was in the office at work getting ready to leave to come to Ice Maker. It was only at that point we realised that we didn't actually have the labels. Oh, goodness. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we, just we had so many other things to kind of think about, but we didn't have we said the labels. So um, I just had a look around the office and we had like, the kind of Dino label in the shop and we put label folders with and stuff. And it looked quite cool. Obviously, it's not, you can't market that product properly because there's a lot of information you need to go into the same stuff commercially, such as like sort of drinkware and you know, silhouettes of pregnant ladies. Um, but at the time, it looked quite cool because, as Mike said, it kind of looked like a laboratory bottle, but they kind of just fall back to the edition. So um, it looks very craft that, the first ones. And that first <laughs> night, you know, make, making gin that first night and making it something that you know, that we really enjoyed. And um, it, it took us quite a long time to get to, to Big Seven, where we are. It took us a good 12 to 15 runs to, to get to, right. to, to some flavours in there that really needed balancing. Um, and when... When we got there, we kind of drank it, and then we carried on drinking it, and then we carried on drinking it, and then Charlie passed out in the kitchen. So <laughs> we kind of got got to that point, you know, quite quite quickly where it was something that we enjoyed and, and we found that balance with it. Um, so then we we moved we moved a, a step further where we wanted to actually create something that was full of flavour, full of uh, life which is where Big 7 1.0 come in. And yeah, we, we made this label for Big 7 1.0 on, on Photoshop. It's you know, a little bit basic. It's it's very simple. And I, I used to show it to people and they go, oh yeah, really nice lines. I'm not really sure what that means. But, <laughs> yeah. but it, was cla- it was classic. Let's let's use... Classic, yeah. That's yeah. the best way to get it. We were just, you know, at the time, I need to use it, but I don't have a way around it. So it's kind of a point where we didn't have any money to have it done properly and any money we did we wanted to spend on making the, the actual liquid better because that's kind of all we cared about at the point so what we wanted to do was make a label which wasn't going to sort of stretch us we didn't want to we didn't want it to look too flashy <clears throat> flashy but poorly ex- executed so we yeah absolutely the most basic design that we could make that still look classy mm. i guess okay so you've you've kind of got got your you know we're, we're now sort of version 1.0 so, so tell me about labeling now you know your your in your current release, what what sort of issues have you gone through with labelling there? Well, so we we decided to kind of relook at this as a brand. We wanted the brand to stand out. We want we want to go to people with with Big Seven and want them to look at it and go, "Wow, that looks nice." So we approached um, a company up in Scotland called Avian. A friend of mine, William, put me in touch with them. Um, okay, and. They're a fantastic company. That you know, they've got PR, they've got um, brand design, which is what we wanted. That, that brand design piece. And we sure. a lovely lady called Andrea who, who sent us twelve different designs for for Big Seven. When we said this is kind of our, this is what we want to do. Uh, we we live right on the edge of Epping Forest, and one of the things we kind of wanted is have that connection with the forest a little bit. So it's a little bit of something to um, like a backdrop, if you like. But, sure. Um, 
Uh, we, we, when we saw the, the Big 7 2.0, as you call it, um, version label, we kind of thought, we don't really need that Epic Forest backdrop with a label like that, or with a look like that, should I say. Because um, we believe that that it's a really classy look. It's very professional looking. So you know, we 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 agreed on on that one after a bit of arguing between myself and Charlie. You know, it's, it's, that seems to be a common theme. Um, <laughs> and uh, we uh, we agreed on on uh, the final look. Uh, we then said to Andrea, "Oh, that's the one we want. Go with that." She did the design, sent us to check off. We checked it off. We were like, "Yes, right now we're there. Let's get rid of all of our stock. You know, we'll be selling this time next week." The new label, the new look, great new bottles. Now, three and a half months later, we still don't have a bottle out. Um, so we're kind of um, at that point. At, at that point with Andrea, where um, we just kept signing the label. We love it. We love it. Great. Yeah, let's move forward. Well, <laughs> the last few months, I'm sure down the naivety, or quite slightly big slowing down because up until the point when we were making the first batch, we were buying bottles from Marshmallow.com. Uh, you know, buying 20 bits of bottles at a time. The labels we was making on laptops and having printed locally. So we're going to start to turn around really quickly, but also really expensively because we were buying um, from sort of consumer websites. Sure. So we're now speaking to um, sort of glass. I don't know if I can say this, but it's like we've had that third for the glass that we used to. At the sure. Time. However, you're in pallets and you're dealing with sort of approaching invoices. So we got to a point, as Mike said, where we knew the label was good to go, so we said, okay, great, we want that. And we said to the bottle lady, great, we want the bottles. So then we reduced all our remaining sort of £50 pounds to sell out because we genuinely thought that we'd be sort of good to go a week after. Um, but as Mike said, we're still quite a few months down the line. <laughs> we're only now ready to launch. And this is kind of um, It's given us a chance to kind of step back and look at it uh, and um, kind of go, right, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. We've had, we've had lots of time with, within that in that stoppage to, to look at all of these bits and the great thing is you know we've, we've got to to this point where we're, out, we're ready to go live and the label machines broken in scotland yeah which we think is a conspiracy we think something else is right about us because apparently this label machine is never broken <laughs> but as soon as um, we had ours going through uh, and it's it's not been it's not been fixed yet no so um we hope to um have orders out for the weekend with okay. 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 Um, but we're obviously just being cautious because we've really got all out with label, which is kind of a bit of our own downfall because we've got foil press, so the label's been really shiny. Um, the seven big seven is a kind of golden foil color. Right. Okay. Color. Um, so we've really gone all out with the label, but it just means that very few places can actually print. A label like this. So when this machine imploded, we didn't really have any other options apart from to wait, unfortunately. Um, but it's fine, and we want this product to be launched really strongly. We, we believe in this product. We want to make it look great. So we're not going to take any disruption because we have the time to get it right. I think that's the right decision to to you know to do that. So. Uh... And I know also you, you took the opportunity to change your website. So what's what's changed on that? Well, the website, we kind of threw together. So quite similar to the initial label, um, it got to a point where all of our licenses come in and we can start, we can start selling commercially, which we did. So the website, we kind of threw together on a, on a website design site. Its primary function was to access the web store, which is done really well. But due to 
to our unplanned extended break between sales, we've had a chance to actually, so I completely deleted the previous website. We didn't try and edit, we tried to edit it, but it was kind of too far away from what we wanted it to be. Sure. We completely deleted it, took it offline for five days um, and redesigned it. We've got a lot more emphasis now on actually the product because really what was on there before was next to no information and website. So each product now has a full page of product information um, about what the drink is, what botanicals we're putting in, how we make it, what it goes well with, what it should taste of. We've got a web store on there, but we've also got a section about us, so kind of what led us to start doing this a little bit about us. Coming to the, the 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 distillery, sort of in a bit more detail. Obviously, you explained a, briefly about the sort of old distillery, but how how did you go about finding the new distillery? Well, I, uh, with with the new distillery, it was very much a case of every day I'd wake up to I think about fifteen twenty messages from Charlie of right move. <laughs> this one, this one. So, um, and eventually, that then he he sent one down and said, I think you know this one looks perfect this going have a look at it so we headed down to uh, a, a little farm that's not too far away from, from where we both live and um, we looked at a unit again we kind of went in this unit and was like oh no we don't really think this is this is the right one it's not real good fit for us it had a sloped roof at the back of it and a sloped ceiling sorry at the back of it and it was just a bit uh, so we said to the guy oh, now probably not we were looking something a little bit different he was like i've got something different so he took us in his car without handbrake it was a very strange manoeuvre. Um, <laughs> every time he stopped his car, he carried on rolling for about 10 feet. But he'd get oh. out of it and we'd be sitting in it, keeping rolling in the back. <laughs> in the back. It's very strange. Um, so, uh, yeah, he took us to the, the unit that, that we currently occupy. It was full of stuff, wasn't it? Absolutely full of stuff. It's, it's just, um, so when it comes to actually registering it, we found out that it was previously registered, registered as something called Old Piggery, which we think. <laughs> It was either a slaughterhouse for pigs or where pigs spent their last days before they went to school. So when it, when it was a food farm. Oh, okay. So it's got like a history. <clears throat> um, but when we viewed it, it was a, it was a dumping ground that hadn't been occupied in years. Oh, there's a, that fridge that was in there was absolutely gross. So, yeah, there was, there was a fridge. The, so there was a fridge at the back and we could see it was on. And we said to the guy, it's like, oh, should that be on? He was like, I didn't know it was here. I've never seen that before. So we kind of walked up to him. It's terrifying because... There's a body in there. We've, we've genuinely <laughs> there. Um, but he opened it and it smelled like a dead body. Oh, it was, we didn't the, it, the smell <laughs> filled the room in about a second. <laughs> it turned out as like a bag of peas or something. It was just, ugh, it was horrible. But, um, we, we saw it had potential, so I kind of had a conversation with him and said, Look, I'll give you an X amount of month for this. I went in quite low. And he said, How about you give me this amount of month, which was a bit more, and I'll make it look like it's worth that month. We said, okay, fair enough. Um, you can't say fairer than that. No, absolutely so we not. About there two weeks later and, um, it's like a kitchen, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, they've done a really, really good job of it. And um, that's where we call home now. But it was quite lucky. I think one of the biggest barriers that I came against when I was looking at potential places, and I'm sure you know other, other people in that situation might have the same problem, is that so many places look for six months rent, which as a start, just isn't feasible to, to have that kind of liquidity tied up in the premises in terms of a deposit yeah sure so, uh, we only had to pay one month which is pretty standard and you know for residential premises but for commercial premises we really found it hard to find anywhere that would be reasonable deposit um, but also access so we didn't think we'd have this issue but we viewed a few places um, which were nice and said oh you can only come between the hours of, sort of 7 a.m and 7 p.m 
Are you going to turn up to speed in a moment? Yeah, I, I, I came down the road one of them and before you could say good morning to you, told me I was getting kicked here at 10. And then told me we couldn't come between the hours of, sort of 7 pm and 7 am, which is, I guess it depends what your business is, but for a delivery business, we've got 25 litres here. So if you turn those on, you're talking about sort of eight to 10 hours of just sitting there. And we both have day jobs. We hope not to have day jobs if, <laughs> if things go well, but at the moment we still have day jobs. So, you know, a lot of the work we do. And as a distillery in terms of making stuff, bottling stuff, making stuff is out of hours. And sure. We're surprised by how many commercial premises don't give 24 hour access. We can't afford that to be standard. One of the things we really like about this location is our landlord is, is super chill. You know, I think if he chills out anymore, he'll fall over, bless him. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we had our, our first bottle delivery uh, recently and um, we, we didn't have a forklift. So he gave him a call, said, oh, have you got a forklift? And, you know, comes around the corner and this massive JCB tractor with a forklift on the end of it, you know, almost as if waving his flag, like, there's no one coming to the rescue. You know, bring it, bring it down there, dump, dump 800 odd bottles into our uh, little room. Yeah, which was nervous because what we found out quite early from Zodiac when we started shipping out different products is that glass generally isn't insured by careers. <laughs> Oh, so goodness. We, yeah, so we didn't know. So when we send out glasses, so I've got customers, for example, and if they smash that on us, we have to replace those, and it's pretty standard for courier. So that's one model which we send out to customers. We've had a few ranges, we've had one actually, yeah, um, yeah. which is quite because that's one that when you see a thousand bottles at the end of a forklift that you know are unsure that you've already paid for them, it's a lot more nervous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was good though, it drove nice and slow. Kind of directed him in a little bit, and and how quickly did you get it set up from a sort of licensing point of view? Um, so the biggest the biggest delay you have is the premises license because you need to have that out for consultation for twenty eight days. So okay. the license is paid to us here because we turn around quite quickly. Um, because so the excise team that deal with alcohol in the HMRC side of things are actually really efficient because because of the COVID outbreak. They put more people into the team to deal with the requests for facilities which wanted to make denatured alcohol, uh, hand sanitizer. Oh, okay. Yeah, it makes sense. So the email address that I need to send the applications to is the same email address that anyone wanting to make hand sanitizer um, would also email. So the response times have been really fast because they put more of the team in that. So it's been quite good. Um, the biggest delay really is with the premises license. So once you actually submit the application and it's validated, validated by your local authority, you then need to wait 28 days to get uh, an advert in your local newspaper stating your Okay. Yeah, that, that was a learning for us. Very yeah. expensive yeah, to put an advert in the newspaper. I, did, I didn't think... <laughs> oh, really? Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what we thought, but we, we didn't think a public notice, which is probably about two square centimetres in the back of a local newspaper, would cost £250, but there you go. It was, it was quite funny when Charlie says, oh, it's 250 pounds. I was like, oh, can you not find another newspaper that does it for cheaper? Um, <laughs> I don't know what we thought, but that really surprised us. But um, you say you have to do that, and you also have to put notice outside your distillery or the premises you wish to license. Okay. Day, should anyone wish to make any representations? And the interesting thing about the notice on the outside and in the paper is people will come and have a look. So, you know, I was in the distillery. Uh, about a week and a half ago, and someone knocked on the door and opened the door and said, Oh, you're opening a brewery? Are you going to do beer? I was like, uh, <laughs> Maybe we can do beer. Are you going to buy a beer from us? We'll make some beer and you're going to buy some. Uh, 
And it was that same night. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's, uh, we was really fun. You know, the first time we done it, we had to make numerous calls to the local authority to find out what it was actually going to be doing. It's super helpful, though, I think. Yeah, or even what we needed. Um, you know, we, we was ready to launch early on in the year, and we might actually, I think we did a premises message. We looked into it and asked the questions, I think we did. Um, but obviously, the second time doing it, we were quite streamlined and we had it in time running quite quickly. Mm. So, um, yeah, kind of good to go now, a lot faster. But, we, we read a lot in, in a short space of time. And I think I spent a good day sitting there just on my laptop reading like um, different kind of licensing, different kinds of uh, things that you needed, uh, you know, going through everything. Then I'd send Charlie a message saying, have you applied for this? Have you applied for that? Like, uh. Mike. Yeah, I think the, the way that HMRC is as well, generally the way that we found the licenses that we need, the way they work is that... Um, Getting a license isn't difficult, but the responsibility is then fully on you to make sure that you're using it responsibly. So take the duty tax, for example. So um, you'll get the duty tax quite easily, and you'll get your duty tax certificate, which allows you to order them. However, they do say that should there be misuse of duty tax, or should you, not, should you not be able to account for them when you're requesting them, you will lose your certificate, and you will never go back on that register. That's what I was right. like, get safe, get safe. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and it, it's the same with the other licenses. They're quite easy to get, but you really need to make sure you understand your full responsibility with them because the consequences of not doing something that you will never get one ever again, which um, isn't an option because obviously it makes our business quite difficult. Yeah, no, quite. Um, and that's the same with environmental health, food safety. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was it? Half past one in the morning, I was sitting doing the food, food hygiene, food safety course on, uh, online. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, we, we drill we deal in dry potassium. So our the risk of food contamination for us is incredibly, incredibly low. However, because we do have foodstuffs on the premises, we need to be sort of experts in food hygiene standards, even though ninety eight percent of them doesn't actually apply to us. Right. But we have now had that responsibility to be able to cite our responsibility should we need to. And and talking about sort of foodstuffs, how do you actually sort of distill Big Seven? Describe the the sort of process. So we're we're very much about um, botanicals in the still. We we love that. We don't suspend them. We know lots of people do do that, and it's a, it's a really good way to do it. But we're straight in neutral spirit in and botanicals in because you know we feel we get the best the best flavour through um through the from the distiller by doing that. Um, so it, we're trying other lots of different methods as well when it comes to flavors and um, other bits and pieces. Like we, we're one of the flavors that we're going to be launching next year, hopefully blackberry. We're, we're um, actually infusing the neutral spirit with the blackberry before we then distill with blackberries and botanicals and then see what comes out on the other side, which is backwards. Which yeah, to what you would normally do, and then. We we will then have the discussion as to whether we'll infuse again to bring the colour in the colour aspect of it, so it becomes like sure. a purple liquid instead of a clear distillate. So um, it all depends on what the flavour is. Because if that flavour comes out amazing, then we might leave it as a pure liquid. If it doesn't, then we'll, we'll bring it to that, that purple colour. I think the good thing with us is that because we've got a relatively small operation and two stills, we can do stuff like this without impacting our natural lives. So, you know, sips for example, got one big old steel, which makes their own, which makes their London dry, and it'd be quite destructive for them to stop making that and 
and stuff like that. Where we've got two small stores, we can continue making our actual um, big seven gin and continue to sell that without any disruption. But sure. make weird and wonderful stuff on the side. That's really interesting. That's a good, yeah, it's a good idea to do that, isn't it? Really, it's, it's just trying to get them, them flavors balanced. And, and like, I think for me, it's really important that the, uh, the the flavor that we're creating goes with the botanicals of Big Seven because we, what we don't want to do is add a flavor in and it doesn't complement the botanicals, and we kind of get this weird aftertaste of the flavor of the botanicals. And that's kind of really where we don't want to be. No, absolutely not. And and what's your still called? Uh, we've got two stills. One's called Ham, uh, named after a really good friend of ours. And uh, the other one's not quite named yet. Oh, so you're going to put that out to a competition? Oh, yeah, it could, we could well do. Get some names in the comments, everyone. See what uh, see what we think here. But but no Stilly McStillface. <laughs> Stilly McStillface. Everyone will go to Stilly McStillface. We would, yeah. we would call it the Sir David Attenborough, in, if that's the case. But we've also <laughs> got, um, we've got, we've made a bit of a steel graveyard because we've now gone through two stills. We've got two new ones. So the first one was the eBay one, which we were oh, okay. off. So the first time we used it, we, we were so scared because it was essentially like a butchered pressure cooker where <laughs> someone had kind of put a, a column into the top of it and, and a thermometer. So the first time we turned it on, we stood out on the balcony, terrified of it for about three hours because we, we genuinely thought it was going to blow up. That no, no, well, it probably wouldn't because you know, we checked to make sure there was uh, no uh, blockages or anything like that. So, um, you know, we, we kind of, you're kind of apprehensive about it sometimes. But now, you know, we, we're seasoned now. We don't, we don't worry about it. We switch, we switch things on, we stand next to them, we shake them. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> working, working in airports, the pair of us never shake a package anyway. So, um, so we've, got, we've got two skills now, which are the Well, you have to take a picture and go, you know, when we were this small, this is these are the stills, and now we've got these massive stills that you know exactly fill fill a massive warehouse because you know that's how big we are now. Exactly, that's like the goal. We think of all the time, like we use stills now to sort of plumb in, determine whether you can leave them, and and they do that thing. The first thing is is manual labour for about three hours because um, you had to make sure the water was going to the condenser so that the bank was committed to it. Um, you always had to check the temperature just in case you had to wait to check the leaves. It was hard work. <laughs> it was hard work. And it's hard work for three hours. It was only eight litres, so you'd only get a few bottles out of it after all that hard work. Mm. That's why we kept it so basic. So basic. And, and then... Um... So, so shifting a bit from the distillery and more into gin, which obviously, uh, you know, is, is uh, you know, the sort of interesting journey. How, how did you start your journey into gin in the first place? Um, so, so for me, um, I was never really a spirit drinker before I worked at the airport. So I was, I was always really into beer and spirits were kind of reserved for nights out that would be stuff like food and, you know, nothing, nothing good. Um, when I started working at the airport, we've got, as I'm sure you can imagine, quite a big liquor section. So I just naturally became a bit more interested in sort of spirits. And, and sure. from there, I really got into whiskey because it was quite cool for me to sort of appreciate that spirits can taste different and they can have different depths and, you know, you can try different things and they've all got a different story. It was much more interesting than just kind of drinking lager to what I was doing at the time. So um, I was a massive whiskey head and, and still are a massive whiskey head, but I think in the last few years, you know, gin's become really popular. He says he was a massive whiskey head, but he used to drink that. Yeah, so I was really into it, so I come into the town and I've got my 
great one. The Grand Tesco is like it's this great one for me to try things out. Kind of <laughs> stuff, like, really and like, super wired me up about it all the time. And I'm sitting there with like a nice 15 year old, 18 year old whiskey, and he's like, Yeah, I'll try this Bells. Yeah, so I, I know what I'm talking about now. But, you know, <laughs> well, I thought I did it, I didn't. But, um, but naturally, from there, we just really got into gin because I find it a lot more versatile, a lot easier to drink at different times of the day. So, you know, you can actually go and social with your friends in the middle of the day, and you, you can't really do that with, with a jug of whiskey. No, um, no, not, it's a bit, not bit really. harder. Uh, but also to make it, you know, whiskey is hard work to make it, and it takes a long time. I think we was really getting into building spirits from scratch, and you can actually do that with gin really quickly, but equally, you can change the flavour quite a lot. I'm not doing a lot and make loads of different stuff. And what are your sort of flavour go-tos? Um, for me personally? Yeah. So I think like what I, sorry, in terms of whiskey, I like something quite smoky. I think okay. uh, um, I kind of went in the deep end, whereas the catch-up, Mm. All the stuff I didn't try on whiskey, so um, kind of island peated whiskey is um, really good for me. In terms of gins, now one of my favourite ones is actually the Bosnian, which is made um, it's made on island, isn't it, by Scotland? By Bradley. If I drink a single more, I always like to have it from island. So. Mm. <laughs> the the, the is made in a steel called Ugly Betty, and I love it. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm and, definitely a big fan of like a kind of a a high ABV rich gin. Um, you know, one of my friends is Warden's Bay Bottle Man, it's 42, and the Bostonist, I believe, is 46. So I really like quite, quite a punchy gin and a forward gin. Mm. And, and, and Mike, what, what about you? What, how did you sort of start your journey into gin? For, yeah, for me, I mean, I've, I've been around liquor for, for a really long time. About 10 years I've been around, around liquor. And um, I was always very much a rum man. I still am a rum man and, and a, whiskey, a whiskey guy. Um, gin for me was something that came really late on. My mum's a huge fan of gin. She absolutely loves it. Um, and, you know, I, I used to get the bottle and then I'd be like, oh, I'll just give that to me, mum. I'll give that to me. I never used to drink it myself. And it was only when I went away um, with Edinburgh Gin to, to their distillery and, and spent time with them to understand you know, how, it, how it's made, what they do there. Um, and we had a really great um, time with them. You know, we, we had the, the distiller there who was just incredible and he would say things like I went down to the um to the fourth and we got some seaweed and, and this is where we've come with this uh this gin and it was just fantastic and it really kind of drove me in around the whole flavours piece and then I started trying okay. more and more gin and going, oh well that's a bit different that's a bit different. Yeah I, I, I do I think it's a summer drink for me most of the time gin. I, I don't find it a winter drink unless um, it's warmed up in, in some variety. Um, but um, yeah, I, I really just like like Charlie said that where you can adapt them flavors and and change them no matter what point. There's so many gins on the market these days, but, and there's something for everyone, and that's what yeah. I like about gin. And that's kind of where my relationship is with it. And, and what 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 are your flavor go tos with regard to? Well, I like some. I like things a little bit sweeter. Okay, and I've got a bit of a sweet tooth. But, uh, even that's probably a problem. Uh, so I kind of like um, <laughs> um, when you find uh, a nice kind of citrusy finish or a, a berry finish, if you like something like that, or the flavoured gins, I really like as well. I'm, I'm more of a kind of cognac drinker these days because I, I find that flavour really versatile. Yeah, I, I must say I'm I'm partial to an armagnac. I, I I was a cognac kind of person, but I, I sort of moved to armagnac. 
And then the one thing I always find fascinating about spirits as a whole, and especially in, in the realm of cognac and brandy, is that all, all cognacs are brandy, but not all brandies are cognac. It's, it's such a great thing to, yeah. to kind of think about. I mean, cognac is, is this beautiful region in, in, in France. I don't know if you've ever been, it's amazing. Anyway, we digress on cognac. <laughs> So, so what what influenced your kind of seven flavors? So you've got juniper, cassia bark, chamomile, grapefruit peel, bay leaf, lemongrass, and angelica root. This is, is purely just about getting these big flavors. Hence the big seven. These huge flavors like bay and chamomile and and uh, grapefruit, and just really kind of trying to find a nice balance between them all. The, biggest challenge we had whilst making this gin was trying to balance that chamomile. So the very first version of this, me and Charlie both sat there and drank, and it was very much very chamomile, wasn't it? Yeah, kind of fun. We found with juniper, angelica, cassia bark, etc., that it was quite easy to get them quite balanced. Um, they was never too heavy, they were never too light, they were quite easy to get right, whereas chamomile was about to be a right pain in the arse. Where we really wanted the flow of mouth. So we're both big whiskey drinkers, we're both big cognac drinkers. And the thing we love is that it leaves you a really nice finish once you swallow the spirit for you know 20, 30 seconds, sometimes longer. Sure. And we wanted to achieve that in the gym, which we didn't feel was being done by anyone else. Um, so it's something that we really set out to do. We thought chamomile would be the best note to do that with because it's lightness flow, so it won't be too out of place in the gym, but it will have the kind of strength to leave you with that last finish. So, I think the first time we've done it, we've done too much. And what happens with too much chamomile is that it overpowers everything quite easily. It leaves you with a kind of licorice, a black licorice um, flavour, which okay. you know, some, some people would like, but it, it didn't fit in with the it was gym. really overpowering, was it? Not, not we would, it wasn't what we were trying to achieve. Um, we kind of looked at each other, and you know, when you think, you, I was expecting him to be, yeah, that's nice, aha, uh-huh. but we kind of looked at each other and it's like, no, we're not quite there yet, you know. Yeah. But I think when we when we got there and we did that look, you know, you, we took that first sip and it was instant, looked at each other, was like, that's it, we've done it, you know, we've got it, we've got it where we need it. And and, and how would you describe the sort of flavour profile? Um, I, for me, it's like a citrusy floral. You know, you get that beautiful kind of bay lemongrass come through as a citrus note and then that chamomile is that that floral finish and it's it sits with you it's nice with just some ice you can drink it straight up it's really nice with um grapefruit and rosemary tonic one of my one of my favorite serves is having that grapefruit and rosemary tonic um, and i just i i really feel that that kind of citrus note just just sits there and it's kind of just it plays with you a little bit yeah, yeah. i must say i have to agree with that because when i tasted it i kind of um particularly with i found with tonic in it i kind of went it's got it's got lemon in it and i'm like looking at looking at the the seven flavors going there's no lemon there but <laughs> it's combination that just basically almost imitates lemon i guess it's the you know the sort of grapefruit and possibly the i don't know the chamomile or something like that together it just it just it's 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 just like what what's going on here? Where's the lemon coming from? And, and we really 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 wanted to go after these kind of a really masculine flavour within this. We uh, and that was quite important to us as we were building it. Okay. Yeah, I think one of the things by 
by our own admission, which I do think we have made, is that we still wanted it to be a judicial gym. We didn't want to take it to a kind of density floor novelty. So by Greenwich, Juniper is still the biggest um, botanical that we put into this, into yeah. this gym. We put a lot of other stuff into it, but what we don't do is we don't reduce the Juniper to make room for it. We just have more and more flavour. So sure. we have the same amount of Juniper in Big Seven as we do in the original gym that we made, which was just so it's still a kind of juniper forward traditional gym, but you'll get that on the nose and you'll get that on the initial taste. Um, you'll get the kind of zesty flavours through the middle and then leave you with that kind of long finish from the camera after, which is something we thought was quite unique and was exactly what we were trying to set up to achieve. One of the things I love is opening the storage containers that we've got uh, the gin in and the waft of Big Seven comes out, fills <laughs> the room, and you kind of go, oh, I could do with a gin and tonic about that, actually. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I guess you have to. I guess you have to be a bit careful about that in the distillery. Or just have one. Oh, one leads to another, and then suddenly yeah, one leads you know. to ten. Ten yeah, leads exactly. to kind of sleep in a cold distillery. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And just to move on a little bit, I'm interested in your slow gin because, um, well, first of all, I'm interested in sort of understanding what influenced that. But then I'm also really interested in the colour. Well, my mum really loves slow gin, so um, <laughs> you know, that was kind of where we were going. Yeah, we, we just kind of said, like, we can't call ourselves serious craft distillers without having that slow gin at Christmas. No, definitely. And it, again, it was important that it wasn't just the same as everybody else's slow gin. Um, we you know, purposely, I went out and bought a few bottles of slow gin just so I could sample them and say, right, well, what do I want mine to taste like versus what do these guys taste like? And sure. The, the characteristic I got from everybody's slow gin was, doesn't really taste like alcohol um, and it's quite sweet and, and yes i've got a sweet tooth but i wanted to do something different so um but i've got so many fields around me i almost live in the middle of nowhere and um, so one day me and my, my five-year-old we headed out to um, the fields and we picked probably about three or four kilo of slows quite quite a few um, and and we took some some of the big seven we we potted down. This is way back, wasn't it? This is way back, maybe back in of July, August time, that kind of time when the slows were just just uh, maturing, if you like. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, we picked them and, and we got we got that tubbed up, and the colour just carried on. Um, well, the slows carried on doing their thing within Big Seven and, and changing the colour, and it became a really rich kind of deep red colour. Um, so when I when we got around to uh, pulling it out, I think it was last week into uh, bottles. I filtered it. I put it through the filter. And the filter just crystal cleared it. It was fantastic to see. And I looked at it and thought, "Wow, that looks brilliant." Tasted it. It's got a nice sweetness to it, a kind of liqueur sweetness, but it's also got punchy alcohol and a nice slow flavour to it. So we kind of achieved everything we wanted to do with the slow. Yeah, I mean, I must must say the colour is just phenomenal. It, really it, it just came out so well, and, and it, the the filter really helped with that. The filter gave it that. Um, it all the filter was there to do was to take away any of the um, sediment or anything like that that would be in there, and that's exactly what it did. It pulled all that away, and we had this crystal clear, kind of deep burgundy liquid, which is you know I, I think it's brilliant. So. Talking about sort of crystal clear, obviously you've had a, this sort of time, not off, because obviously you've been doing lots of things, but um, 
you, you've had time to sort of refine the brand a bit more. How would you describe the brand? So, you know, I think what's important to remember, and we have to remember as well after this, that why we started doing it. And the reason we started doing it is because we just wanted to make some spirits and kind of see what we could make. We have an experience that we enjoy making our own. And the, goal, the goal was to just continue that. As I said, one thing led to another, and we got to where we are now. However, we are becoming known as uh, the gym brand. So people always say, it's like, how's your gym brand going? Um, and it's kind of like, we always say, oh, yeah, I'm really good, thank you. But at the same time, we're trying to create Big Seven as the gym brand, but Charles and Mark still is limited as the brand that just still experience. We've got dreams sure. of doing, um, you know, mezcals, vodkas, beers, ciders, and, and that will be that side of the business. Um, but we are creating quite a strong sort of gym brand <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, it's important for us as well that that that, that brand under big under the big seven umbrella is is nurtured in that way. Is is kind of like it looks at uh, premium. It it's, it looks professional, and that's kind of where we're leading big seven down the line. You know, we could we could make something next next month next year um, that is totally crazy and, and wild and, and has something completely different to big seven, but um, it will be a separate entity. You know, big seven is going to be its own brand, its own. Uh, its own thing. Right? I, I'm really passionate about it. when I when I start talking about it, I get all like, animated. Um, <laughs> for me, it's it's you know it's it's our baby. It's our it's our first love, if you like. We we, sure. we got we we got there in the end with the flavour and, and we really appreciate it and we respect it. So we're going to help. We're going to grow it. We're going to push it. And what does the brand mean to you? It, it just like it, like I said, it's my baby, and I think. Yeah, I, I would always have my 100% eyes on this brand to build it and grow it. Um, and I, I think the liquid itself is is great. You know, I'm, I'm talking it up. Um, the liquid itself is great. It's a balance between heavy flavors, big flavors, and, and we, we've crafted it nicely. And what about from from your point, Charlie? Yeah, I think as I said. Like, the goal was the main experience, and, and what's happened is that we've kind of we've almost annexed Big Seven from the CM Studio side of things, just because it's become a brand in its own right. Because we've done limited editions, we've done Habanero and Lime, we've done Raspberry, we're now doing Slime. Oh, fiery Habanero and Lime! Yeah, the Habanero and Lime one was, was pretty brilliant because uh, we use real Habanero, so it's actually quite insanely spicy. So it is really interesting. It was great. Okay. Oh, it was um, wonderful. But you know, and we're still doing stuff like that on the side, and, and that. That fits and sits quite nicely in Charles One Food Limited. And that brand, what that means to me is a lot of fun because what we're doing is kind of making weird and wonderful things. Some stuff is not great, a lot of stuff is great. Whereas Big Seven is becoming sort of the main brand for that. So, what that means to me is um, quality spirits, a really original gin. And we hope to be able to make more gins using the Big Seven base if, because. The originality is quite striking, and we think that we can make a line of spirits within that. Okay, and and what 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 do you think is next? Obviously, you mentioned the blackberry sort of flavour next year, but what else is next? Yeah, so we'll definitely we'll definitely be doing the blackberry. That'll be hopefully towards the end of Q one next year, and then um, we're we're in lots of discussions at the moment about what um, what Big Seven will be next. So you know, we've we've been speaking about lime. There's lots of lime out there these days um, we kind of like that idea of, of a lime gin because you you can take away the tonic if, if someone doesn't like tonic they can have it with lemonade or, or something a bit different so um 
yeah, we're, we're definitely exploring lots of different flavors uh, for next year for, for that Big Seven brand. In terms of other spirits, we are all over vodka at the moment. So the, <laughs> the biggest barrier to vodka, um, for those who don't know, is that you have to make your own alcohol from scratch, um, which right, is okay. a whole other world of licenses that you need to change from Charlie's job. Um, you know, at the moment, we buy our spirits, so there isn't kind of too much that's going on for duty point of use. Hank Marcy are too fussed about our operation because it's quite safe. Um, when you're making alcohol from scratch, there's a lot more liability um, to have sure. revenue and customs. Um, so it's one of the things we want to do. Um, we have a lot more business to trade. We have a lot more set up to before we're able to start looking in that direction. But I think eventually, once we start making our own alcohol, we really want to make our own vodka because um, we're really big spirits fans and actually we all appreciate a good vodka. But if you can make a good vodka, it can end up being the base for other things. Which is right. And then once you achieve that, you have kind of total control on all of your spirits because we can, you know, we control our tap, we can process our gin, um, which influences 90% of the flavour. But only when you make your own alcohol can you control 100% of it. So it'll be a little difference, but it'll just be that you completely change everything you need to about the flavour. Well, I think that's a good sort of place to, to, to sort of um, finish, but um, how can people get in contact with you sort of on the web and, and social? So our website is www.charlesandmike.com um, but it can also be accessed by www.big7gin.com I should mention to your listeners that www.big7 is not affiliated with us. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, so we tried to buy that domain when when we realised what is and it's big seven from the, the CNN group. We wanted to get two domains in case it eventually has a separate website. And we thought because we get the same traction that someone will probably buy it soon and then try and sell it to us for a massive market. Um, but we saw big seven was taken. So obviously curiously I thought, well who's it taken by? And I was at work and I was using my work laptop. So uh, my boss alert, I believe, because what I ended up with was a German website for companionship. <laughs> okay. So we didn't contact them. I like your choice of words, companionship. Yeah. Companionship. So, um, but if you do want a companion in Stuttgart, then uh, big7.com is yeah. the, the place. To go. <laughs> it's the place to go. Yeah. But um, yeah, you can contact us via websites. Uh, we're also on Instagram uh, with the handle Charles Mike. What is your favourite gin other than your own, and how would you serve it? So, if I could ask that to, to Charlie first. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I've got a long-standing problem that I drink too fast. Um, it's well documented. It is. <laughs> it's, it's been, I'm, I'm 28 now, so it's been happening for. 28 years. <laughs> 28 years. <laughs> um, so I like a gin and tonic. I really do like a traditional gin and tonic, but I drink them way too fast. So my favourite gin in the way to serve it is actually um, Warner's Distillery up in Northampton who do a rhubarb gin, and it's really cool because they distill at 94% coming off the still, and then they use pure rhubarb juice to bring it down to strength. Uh, I believe they've got a little bit Oh, wow. 2%. So it's... Um, it's crazy because there's no water in there, just rhubarb juice. So it's kind of really tart and rich and actually quite sour because rhubarb in itself is, is actually quite sour. Um, but it goes really, really well with the ginger ale. So what you end up with is quite a bitter, long drink 
which is also fresh at the same time. So it kind of stops you from drinking too fast, but you still got get the refreshing moments of having a gin and tonic at the same time. But the rhubarb flavour man is incredible. And there's the distillery is run guy by called by a guy called um, Tom Warner. And um, I spoke to him about this when I was up there. And he said that getting the rhubarb gin right was the biggest pain in the ass that he had yeah. in all of his years of, of being a, a distiller. Because rhubarb is fibrous, so you can't distill it. So you have to freeze it and cold press it and add it to the gin that way. Because you can't distill it. Oh, okay. It took them years to get right. But um, if you do get the chance to try it, it's a, it's a fabulous gin. Well, no, I'm really pleased you've mentioned it because it's the first gin anybody's mentioned on the podcast that I've actually got. <laughs> Hooray! Excellent, excellent. So I'll be cracking open the ginger ale and giving it a go. It's a, it's a fantastic serve. Ginger ale, lots of ice and a double of the gin. Always a double. Never always a double. Oh, always a double. Always a double. But if they make singles. Mike, what about you? Uh, for me, I, I, I really like the English spirit. Um, company and they, they make some amazing spirits and their gin they've got a dr j's gin uh, and it is fantastic you know they, when they when he distills they use macadamia nuts and and all all kind of amazing uh, botanicals within this gin it's got such a powerful flavor and for me i just find it amazing that the macadamia nuts in it and, and obviously it's not a problem for if you've got a, a nut allergy or anything like that because um, the nut allergy comes from the oils that were within that nut, and not um, not the, the um, what, what's the word? Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, you, and then you get that flavour within that gin, and it, there's no kind of problems with it, which is fantastic. Uh, and just straight up, uh, forty-five ml tonic, double shot, absolutely fantastic. Loads of ice. It is beautiful. Oh, okay. Well, I must try that one. I'll add it to my list. I also have many. a drink called Lemon Gino. And oh, okay. If you like Fanta Lemon, it I is do. the drink for you. So it is gin with real lemons, like made with real lemons. And if you have just a touch of tonic in it, it just gives it that fizz. And it is an alcoholic lemon Fanta. Oh, Oh, nice. Um, I like that idea. Yeah, so it, it, they, are, they are absolutely, they make some incredible spirits down there. So always worth giving them a little look. Okay. And um, finally, what does gin mean to you? And if I could ask that to Mike, first of all. Oh, <laughs> um, but actually, I, I think it's just an absolute crazy world full of crazy people. You know, I've seen some really amazing gins the last six months. I, I bought, um, I know you had them on the podcast recently. I bought the triple pack from the Edge Gin. Um, and they've got such a fantastic backdrop to their gin with, with the wizard. And um, it's just incredible. So I just think it's full of... Uh, crazy characters it's a crazy industry with gin so for me it's all about humor and fun gin and what about you charlie um so i think we all know that like the most popular spirit in the world um for years and probably since the bump time in, in vodka um, it's most widely consumed but with research with vodka generally it's only used to sort of alkalize the drink so you can have it with coke or, or orange or whatever just just to add a bit of alcohol to it what I love about gin, and we 
with these spears that people have actually turned it into um, a spear which can apply to drink better. It's actually got its own character. Mm. So, you know, the reason why craft gin is blown up, I think, is because it's a lot more versatile, a lot more people can get into it. So, clearly, everyone has liked spirits for some time, but they've only had kind of vodka to choose from if they wasn't into whiskey or anything kind of um, with a bit more flavour. Whereas gin's got so many different flavours that it's become a lot more accessible for everyone. It's very versatile, it's very fast to turn around. So, like new distilleries such as us can just start making it and start bringing some really good stuff to the market. So, um, I think it's great for kind of spirits overall because it's a really fast route to market. It brings on a new audience um, and it's just growing that overall category, which is a good thing. You can kind of tell how how that the, the gin category is when you look at that gin lane picture. You've got like people asleep in the streets, one dropping a kid off the stairs. I think that's Charlie on a Friday night normally. Uh, you know, <laughs> people hanging out of windows, a bit of like a nice bit of propaganda there from the government to try and get people stopping to drink drinking gin, but that really, really worked. They're kind of trying to get them all to drink beer, but you know, it was, the people in the beer picture had nice big bellies and they're all happy, and the gin picture they were all like dead. Yeah, and just just to finish, like, you know, the good thing about it is the gin came on just the right time and the kind of cross boom as it was, because like in my story, and one of the things that with a lot of gin is that there's a story that accompanies it. So, you know, with us, we made it, uh, we wanted to continue making it. So, of course, yeah, we've got a bit of the story of how we sat with the story, but the edge have got the story of the, um, the wizard of Older the Edge. But each brand has a story, and actually, consumers just want to know what they're buying and why it's there. Um, yeah, absolutely. What, what the purpose absolutely. is, I guess. And um, a lot of gins have that. And, People like spirits, people like a story, so it's just kind of the perfect storm, which is why it's got so popular over the past five years, and it's been like really yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for coming on the Gin Ignite podcast. I've really enjoyed it, and I wish you all the luck with you know, your labelling and uh, with the, the launch and everything like that. So um, thank you very much. Thanks, Ben. Thanks so much for having us on. We've had a really good time. Yeah, thank you for your time. No problem. Thank you very much to Charlie and Mike from Charles and Mike Distilling. I really wish you all the best of luck for version 2.0 of the Big Seven and also for the Blackberry Gin, which is hopefully going to come next year, and also for your slow gin as well. I really, really hope you do well. And I look forward to maybe speaking to you next year on the podcast to see how it's all gone. My Instagram shout out this week is Maxine from at the Teal Bar. You may remember that at the Teal Bar was featured in episode one, or maybe you don't, which is why I'm featuring it again, because I really want to get Maxine to get the full amount. I love her post on Christmas Countdown. It's got a great view of her gin collection. I can see the Whitley Neal shelf. I can see the Mermaid Gin, both versions, and Martin Miller, which is always a favourite of mine. So many gins on there that I'd be here for the rest of the afternoon, I think, if I was to name all of them. I also liked your post on Aintree Gin. I love the blue colour of Blueberry Blast and the juniper berries and a couple of other goodies you've got in there. I'm not sure what they are. So if you'd want to let me know what they are, I'd be, I'd be really like to know because uh, they sort of look like nuts of some kind, but I, I couldn't quite work out what they were. I also love your other post of Aintree's gin kiwi fruit and i also can't believe the color of that one either it's sort of green 
It's also impressive that it's got 15 botanicals, and I love to serve with a couple of kiwis. I thought that was really, really nice. I really liked November's Craft Gin Club with the Cape Town-inspired backdrop. I really think the picture was absolutely sensational. And it was a Cape Town-based gin, Pinea. It Really, really, really nice gin. Um, I've got to be honest, I, I wasn't sure about it when I, when I got it out of the box, but it is a really fantastic and fabulous gin. I have to be honest, I'm really sorry, but it seemed to have got lost that post in my feed. But I have now liked it and I've now commented on it. So I'm glad to say that that is all rectified. I also really loved your Cray Shaw post as well of their orange zest gin and the miniatures that you got given. I love the picture and I love the glass that came with it all from Hensol Castle Distillery. I also loved your post from for Strawberry Laces Gin from Asda and your display with the strawberry laces behind in the glass pot. I thought that was really, really nice. I always love your displays at the teal bar and love the colour and the way you present gins. Please, please keep it up and I will be adding you to my stories all week. I would love to hear from you if you want to get in touch at Gin Ignite on Instagram or Twitter or alternatively, if you want to use email, gin.gossip at ginignite.com. The thing that I like about the gin community that I've met so far is that nobody judges anyone for what they believe, what they look like or who they choose to be. The world would be a better place if everyone took that view. Grab your drink, toast those you love, enjoy the weekend and when you decide to party or stay in, I will be with you in spirit. Seriously though, enjoy your weekend and I look forward to joining you for another episode next Friday. Cheers! Cheers.